0: Welcome, everybody, to the Daily Mayhem podcast. This is your host, Jack Package. I think I hit the music a little bit early there, but uh, hopefully no harm, no foul. Appreciate everybody for joining us tonight. This is going to be our fourth episode of the Daily Mayhem. We're building up. We're getting closer and closer to Myrtle. The excitement is palpable, and uh, we've got a return guest for you a little bit later Super excited to talk to him. But first, I want to start off like we always do with the listener letters. Um, appreciate those and keep them coming. Remember, everybody, feel free to follow uh, the podcast on Twitter at at TheDailyMayhem1. And you can follow me, your host, Jack Package, at at JMU Monty on Twitter. Send me DMs, send me comments, uh, engage, let us know what you want to hear, what you love, what you hate. And uh, we'll try to reply to as many of those as we can, and I'll try to talk about some of those here on the cast. So first note that I got, and I really appreciated this note, was from a gentleman named Cole. And he said, man, listening to this podcast has got me so fired up about this guy's trip that I take to AC every year. We're going for March Madness. Myrtle Mayhem's got me in the mindset, I can't wait to go to my guy's trip in AC. Listen, I love it. Nothing better than a guy's trip. Part of the reason, as we've covered in previous episodes, that we go in March is for March Madness. We're down there for the golf during the tournament. When you're in Atlantic City, do me a favor. White House Subs on Arctic Avenue. If you've never eaten there, you're crazy. Get the boys. I promise you, best subs you'll ever eat in your entire life. Book it right now. White House Subs. By the way, they opened one of those in the Hard Rock Casino in Atlantic City. not the original i'd go to the one on arctic avenue it's a little scary to get in fantastic um, subs Cole. i hope you and the boys enjoy your trip to atlantic city next i got this letter from a guy named shane he says package i cannot believe this trip that you take can you just put me in your pocket take me down there sneak me on to this trip listen dude I think you're a level six weirdo. If you keep writing me, you're going to be a level seven weirdo. That's all I can talk about here. No, I can't fit you in my pockets. Uh, But you know what? Hey, listen, if you make your way down to Surfside Beach, we'll buy you a beer at Scotty's. Uh, Shane, love you. Keep listening and uh, keep being weird. All right. Listen, let's move on to our guest. Uh, You've met him before. Uh, we had so much ground to cover in episode one I have mr. Dave Dwyer the originator of Myrtle mayhem with me tonight we had so much ground to cover we didn't get to half the material we wanted to talk about and I'm getting a lot of questions about the uh, just some of the some of the intricacies of the tournament people wanting to run a tournament like this people that really want to get into some of the details so I brought Dave back and asked him to come talk about a few more things and uh, Dave, are you there welcome to the show uh glad to have you with us tonight buddy i am
1: here i am excited i am glad to be back we have so much more to talk about and uh glad you gave me the opportunity to come back and and cover some more of this stuff
0: well you did a great job on the first episode i got a lot of great feedback and uh just thought you were a superb guest so i'm glad to have you back we're gonna do Dave, I think, as you know, another three or four interviews with people Well, three, probably three more shows before we head off to Myrtle. We'll do some interviews with the whole crew as we get down there and then we'll do our nightly shows recapping. I'm sure you'll make an appearance on at least one of those uh, shows after the golf while we're down there in Myrtle. Um, we didn't really we I don't feel like we gave a, 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 a deep enough dive into the early years of of mayhem and how you kind of came up with this trip we know you wanted to you know get away play a little poker play a little golf get a weekend away from the uh, wife and kids and uh, have a little fun can you dive a little deeper into those uh early uh early years and how you guys came up with the rules for the golf tournament yeah
1: absolutely so as we've definitely outlined and covered here. We are not great golfers. We are average golfers, but in the first years we were horrible golfers. Uh, there was not a lot of, uh, golf talent out there. So a lot of the rules that we created early on were try to mitigate how bad we were as golfers. So in year one, um, we had some, we didn't have a large rule book. It was probably about six rules total. Um, we've talked about our most famous rule, which is the shotgun mulligan. Um, we had a rule that you could lift, clean and replace at all times. So you never had a bad lie. You could always fluff your ball up. Um, that's still (laughs) here. It's still very much alive. We do lift, clean, replace to this day. Um, we had this one rule that, um, at the time was fantastic. It got you out of a lot of trouble and it didn't last very long. We got good enough that we didn't really think it was fair, but it was a rule that we called the woods rule. That basically said any ball that you hit in an unplayable lie, whether it was out of bounds, in the trees, bushes or a backyard, could be removed, placed in a um, reasonable area, free of obstruction with no penalty. So wherever it went into the obstruction, you could pull it out, drop it there, free play, no penalty. And. Early on, we used it a lot off of drives. Nobody could hit a drive. We were hitting stuff in the woods all the time. But you would go up and just find the guy that had hit it furthest into the woods and pull it out and drop it and play it. And it wasn't just on the drive. It was on any shot. You yanked it into the woods. Wherever it went in, you could pull it out and drop it. Um, we still weren't scoring well, but um, <laughs> it definitely saved a lot of time and improved
0: the scores, definitely. And probably um, part of the reason why you didn't use as many shotgun mullies, you said, in the early years, right? Yeah. I mean, if I could hit one 260 into the woods, I'd just pull it out and hit from the, you know, right, yeah. right by the edge of the woods there.
1: Yeah, and we weren't keeping it in the woods at all. It came all the way out. So it was a ridiculous rule, one that we became ashamed of after about probably four or five years and dropped. So that's <laughs> no longer a rule, but... Um, And then the playing format, we had two days of doubles, one day of singles and one day of foursomes. So points were easy. It was one point per match. Uh, The only thing that was different was the foursomes. We gave two points. So there was a total of 10 points available in nine matches, which is nothing compared to today where there are 90 points available in 12 matches. Um, I can get into that a little bit more, but I mean, points were limited. You won the match, you got a point. Um, If you happened to split a match, you each got half a point. It was very it straightforward. And you didn't do by nine. You didn't, it was a nope. total 18. None of that. Okay. So okay. it was very straightforward. And that was pretty much the rules that we went down there with. Um, and we used the heck out of that Woods rule um, the first year and probably the first two or three years. That was probably used on just about every hole by somebody. Right. So right. We, we organized the two teams really based on nothing because a lot of us just weren't playing a lot or had never played really at all. So we just split them into a south team and a north team. Um, Danny, Rick, Mike, and myself were on the south team because all of us were in Richmond or south of it. Uh, And the north team was Alan, Ken, Eric, and Aaron because at the time all of them lived in Northern Virginia. So all of us were bad, but Danny was the, the standout of the group. He had played on the golf team in high school, and
0: had some skill. He knew what
1: he was supposed to yeah. be doing.
0: And at the I time, I remember he was, early Danny. Yeah, played a lot of golf with him in high school. He was a good golfer. Yep. And at the time, he was probably a 12 to
1: 15 handicap. Right. Um, so he was definitely the best by far. And then four of us were playing somewhat. Um, Alan, Ken, Rick, and I were probably 20 to 25 handicaps at that point. None of us had a handicap, but looking back on it, we were probably 20 to 25 handicaps. If we were right. breaking 100, we were happy. Right. Um, and then the last three, Eric, Aaron, and Mike, maybe it played once or twice total before that first trip. So they were they, they played at basically bachelor parties, I think is where they played because all of us right, had right. A, a round of golf, their bachelor party, and they played there, but that was it. And I swear that at least a couple of them had to find, had to buy their first set of clubs in order to attend. So like, I think Aaron and Mike did not have a set of clubs and they both bought a set of clubs to come down that first year so that sets up the quality of golf that we experienced in it's, that first and year it's why
0: you needed to put some of these rules in yeah. place right
1: again it, it also was explains
0: rule. why the poker was oh yeah i, I feel like a more prominent part of the trip right i mean now i i think i feel like the poker's kind of almost gone away maybe one or two nights where we play down there but back in the day you guys were poker players
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a social event in the first couple of years. Golf was a reason we would get out of town to do it, but we were so bad at it that golf was almost secondary to the trip. So some highlights from year one, um, year one, we went down in February, February 22nd through the 26th of 2006. Um, so some highlights, February is cold, even in South Carolina. Um, it was a combination of cold and wet most of the four days in Myrtle. So the weather was not great. We
0: quickly realized you got rained out day one. I mean, a day four, isn't that right? Day four. Yeah, I'll get to that. Okay. So, um,
1: we quickly realized that February is too early and we need to move it back into March. So I I think maybe we have one more year in February, but everything else has been in March. So the house was cheap. It was $200 for the four days. Um, $50 a night. So with eight guys, it was 25 bucks a person for that house. So you couldn't the beat 40. the price. <laughs> so the house was also small. It had three, bedroom, three bedrooms and three beds total for eight dudes. So we didn't share beds. And Rick's quote has held up throughout the entire uh, history of mayhem. And his quote was, I ain't sleeping with no dude," So nobody shared a bed. (laughs) So we had three beds in rotation um, for eight guys. Um, So the only one to sleep in a bed every night was Ken Preedy, who somehow convinced Eric to sleep on the floor of their bedroom every night. And he had a king size freaking bed every night um, for that first trip. And we all hated him for it. Um, other sleeping options were if you shared a bedroom with somebody, you just alternated bed and floor. Um, Rick had a blow up mattress that he slept in the kitchen and that blow up mattress took up almost the entire kitchen. That's how small the kitchen was. Danny slept on the couch. We found he slept mostly with his eyes half open, which was freaky, Um, but he always (laughs) slept on the couch. And then Aaron had a sleeping bag and he decided he needed the room and the cool air of the night and slept on the porch and remember it was cold during the day it was freezing at night um but aaron slept on the porch uh in a sleeping bag every night
0: so oh my god that was our sleeping arrangements and, and it like be- it's cold in myrtle i'm sure february was cold i mean i've been down there in march where there's some 30 degree nights 30 35 degree nights he must have been freezing well,
1: I mean, Aaron has a rich history of travel, so he has a lot of really good equipment. So he had a good sleeping bag, but still, I mean, freaking cold. Yeah. It had to be in the 20s on some night. But wow. He, he said he enjoyed it. We were happy mm-hmm. that he wasn't taking up space and sharing a bed in the house. Gave us all a better chance at a bed. Okay. Um, we drank a lot, not on the course, because we weren't really using the shotgun mulligans. But as soon as we got off the course, we were drinking like crazy. I think 75% of our trash. Was beer cans. Um, yeah. So a, yeah, yeah. a lot of drinking went on and mostly beer at that point. Bourbon really hadn't become a thing yet. Um, all of us were drinking, you know, Miller Lights for the most part, but a lot of them. And that has stayed consistent.
0: Yeah. Um, and then I think you mentioned, I think already that we, you, the, the eating habits were not very good, right? You said that.
1: Yeah. Uh, the we, first
0: episode.
1: So. That, yeah, we ate poorly. I mean, diners <laughs> for breakfast, which I yeah, love. I, yeah, I could eat them yeah. three di- three meals a
0: day. Omega Pancake House, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Bitch, where's
0: my toast? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and then we'd have like a hot dog or an egg
1: salad sandwich at the turn for lunch yeah, if we were yeah, lucky. Yeah. And then at night it was barbecue or pizza. But we did right. mm-hmm. one night we went out to a seafood buffet. I don't know that we've ever been to a seafood buffet since. I have we, never been down with it with you guys. No. No, so we, we did a seafood buffet, and we all agreed was way overpriced and horrible. So it's why we've never gone back to a seafood buffet. But that right, was our, right. our big expense. We spent more on that seafood buffet than we did for the lodging for four nights. So <laughs> um, we played a boatload of poker. Um, I mean, the, the first five years, we played a lot of poker. It was as much a poker trip as it was a, um, a golf trip. We would play, you know, four hours of golf and probably eight hours of poker a day. And that's crazy, by the way. You guys were really, really grinding on the poker. Oh, my God. We would set, we had a poker table. We would set it up out on the porch. And if it got too cold, we'd drag it into the tiny little living room and huddle around it. Um,
0: Sit out back so somebody could smoke or cigar
1: or. Exactly. We we did all the smoking outside. And if we came inside, we couldn't smoke. So we tried desperately to to stay outside so there's a ton of pictures of us all bundled up playing poker yeah i think Um, i've
0: seen some of that i
1: think i mean not not a ton of money changed hands the the one memorable thing that came out of poker is alan and i were driving down um down 95 through emporia and those of you that live in the state of virginia know emporia is just one big speed trap and uh alan got a ticket that was a 130 thirty dollar ticket and People didn't win or lose a lot of money in poker, but Alan went on a winning streak that he won probably 150 bucks in poker. And we always remember it because all he could do with it is pay his, uh, his ticket that he got on the way down. So it was a
0: wash. He won 150 bucks and he didn't even get to keep it. Jeez Louis. All right. So I don't remember in the first episode, did we cover where did you guys play the first, the first uh, year? What courses? So and by the way, do you uh, you probably can talk about this later, but we've played a lot of different courses down there, right? Where where did you all play the first year? So day one, we play um, doubles at Wicked
1: Stick, which is John Daly's course, which we played a bunch. We played it nine times in the years that we were down there, um, but it was demolished. Um,
0: Why did we play that course so much? I remember I've played that a few times too. Did was it close to the house, or did you guys just like the course, or what was the deal? It was five minutes from the house. And that that
1: course was as wide open as you can get. I mean, there were a couple holes that were tight, but for the most part, it was wide open. You could play from other fairways. It was a big field, basically. Okay. Okay. So it was, and it was John Daly's course. So that gave it some panache. We never saw John, but uh, it was a great course. um, And and we played it a lot. In the first 10 years, we probably played it almost every year. Okay. So um, in that first round, Rick and I beat Ken and Aaron in a doubles match, 10 holes to four. Danny and Mike beat Alan and Eric, four holes to two. Um, So we immediately jump out to a 2 0 lead. Um, We played singles on day two at Prestwick. So Prestwick is the one course from that first year that we have continued to play. It's the course that we have played the most um, since. We played it 12 times, um, and now it is our day four final day course consistently and it's been that way for the last four or five years um yeah
0: that's a good so course
1: just a ton uh it's a great course we play it usually on a weekday so there's nobody there yeah. um and it is just chock full of memories so we win three of the four singles matches on that day i am the only one to lose my match to kenny and to mm-hmm. this day 16 years later i've never heard the end of that right, um right. so so we're now up five one Day three, we play the four-man at River Oaks, which is – So a
0: four-man scramble?
1: Yep, four-man scramble. Um, so you we play- were
0: playing your own foursome, and the other team just had to accept your score?
1: Yep. Okay. No communication, really. We would meet up every once in a while at a hole and kind of share what we had done at right. that point. But um, it's uh, it's miserable weather. It's a kind of a miserable course. Um, we've played it a couple times since in a practice round just because it's cheap, but it's not a great course. Um, but the North finally wins something. Um, they take that and it's now five to three. So day four, we were supposed to play doubles and I don't even know where we were supposed to play on day four. I've lost that to the mists of time. Um, we have an early tea time cause we're going to drive home that day and it is cold as cold can be. It is raining and it's kind of rain mixed with ice. And we can hear the ice rattling against the windows during the night. So we wake up early and we're like, nobody wants to play. No, so man. we decide to scrap it. We don't play. Um, Myrtle Mayhem ends with uh, the South winning five to three. Um, and we just pack up and head home. Um, so it's, again, the golf is not good. Um, we, we're bad. It's, um, it's a great time simply because of everything else that happened but golf was pretty miserable that, that first year in a lot of ways. Um, but we love the hell out of it. We decided we're going to do this forever. Um, and that was, that was year one and, and, you know, it's kind of really just blossomed and grown from there. Um, but we look back with some nostalgia there, just, you know, how bad we were, how crappy the house was, how crappy the weather was. Um, so, um, but it's a great time. We all have a blast um and that eight all comes back the next year so we keep the same eight in year 2
0: so uh, you know i i've gotten a bunch of comments from people i work with folks that they're listening to the podcast and commented on twitter everybody uh thinks it's a cool event and and it, it, the question that i've been asked more than anything is hey when somebody drops out can i get in mm-hmm. so really there's a, it, it's very popular i mean real i'm not joking it's people are really asking those questions can you explain the growth in popularity and the, uh, how 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 popular it's become cuz I know we've had 16 guys and there's I don't know how many guys have been in the rotation. We've probably had 20, 25 guys at some point go on this trip and I'm sure some of them still ask for spots. Um, yeah. ex- can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah, we all talk about it with other people that we know and and try to explain, you know, how much fun we have and the more you tell about the event, the more people want in. um so it's part of the reason we expanded to 16 and we talked about that previously is that we had all these people wanting to get in um but it's still i mean everybody wants to come back too so it's 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 for the most part been a solid group of guys with another subset of guys that have always been available um but we've had 23 different guys play over the years um and I think if we asked any of them with a the session of, of one or two, they would come back in a heartbeat. And beyond that additional group of people that have played before, there's a bunch of people that have said, yes, I want in. If, if anything happens, somebody can't go, let me know. Like um, Steve Hardiman is a um, nurse anesthesiologist at a hospital, and he talks about it with his doctors all the time. And they're all like, dude, what, what do I have to do to get in? And the key is there has to be an opening, which is rare. None of the backups can play, which is rare. You have to be highly recommended by somebody, and typically by an OG, but we'll allow other people to make recommendations. But your your golf game can't be too good. We've eliminated people because you're like, dude, you're a a seven handicap, you are never coming down.
0: No, that Um, would really. Or
1: you're you're too bad because now that we've gotten to a, a decent place where we're all like you know, 12 to 15 handicaps, we don't want somebody that's terrible either, because it throws off, you know, the balance of the teams. So you can't be too bad. You have to bring something from a social perspective, you can't be a dud. And, you know, just sit there and drink beer and say nothing and contribute nothing to the event. So there there are some rules. And we've weeded people out over the years, because they've been you know, not good enough or just not bringing anything to the table. Um, So it's, it's, you've got to fit in with a group. That's the big question we ask is how would they fit in with the group? Because one dud can ruin a trip. Um, And we've had that a couple of times. So we, you know, you've got to come highly recommended. We're probably going to play a round or two with you to get a sense of your game and how you interact with folks. But the chances of somebody new getting in, I mean, the of the 12 that we have now the guy that's been there the shortest period of time is the saint and he's been there seven years so everyone's been there at least for seven events um so you know we're not looking to expand because we have already got a host of people that call Mm -hmm. me every year saying hey you got any space this year um and every once in a while one of those guys will get in because one of the the guys that are, are t- typically there can't do it for some reason, having a baby or getting married or some bullshit. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's hard to get in. The
0: saint has only been there seven years. I thought he'd been around longer.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So everyone
0: else, saint's been there
1: seven. Um, Jason, no, I'm sorry. Saint's been there eight. Jason Kremple has been there seven. Everyone okay. else has been there for at least 10 events. So it's a pretty hardcore group that comes back and, doesn't give up their spot easily.
0: So do you, as I was gonna say, yeah. do you want to talk about, I know. So the, we get the guys, right. And then, but then you create this, these rules, you know, and you've got all these things and shit. Some of them, I can't even keep track of. You typically said the rules email and you're like, Hey guys, you're on your own. This is the rules. You got it just like a golfer right on the course. You got to know the rules that are applicable uh, for you. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so um, part of the growth is, like I said in the first podcast, is a lot of people do golf trips. I mean, almost every guy I know does a golf trip of some kind. But our goal has always been to make this some kind of an event that's bigger than the golf. So part of that is rules and, and putting rules in place so there's consistent play. And like I said, the first year we had six rules you could put on an index card. Now we have a rule book that has, I don't know, 10 to 12 pages of rules. And it's not overbearing in the sense that that seems like a lot, but it's just really to lay down because there's always like, hey, Monty tried to do this. Is that in the rules? And if it's not in the rules, you can get away with it. So we started creating rules just to make sure that people weren't going crazy and like, what do you mean? I can't do that. It's not in the rules says I can't do that. So we just started throwing rules in a rule book to make sure that everybody would be like, hey, it's not in the rule book. You can't do it. So um, we have a a bunch of rules. I put together a rules and records um, document every year that, again, the first year we did it was an index card. And probably the first five years was maybe a page of information. And now it is 60 pages of rules and records that I put out every year. Um, that people can go in and reference like how they did 10 years ago at a particular course. Um, You can analyze the rules. Nobody knows the rules except maybe three of us. So everybody depends on us to be in their force and be like, Hey, can I do this? So um, yeah, it's become a big production that I put together every year and I bring it down in a huge binder so that I only have the rule book for this year. I have the rule books going back to two thousand six. 2009, I think, is the first rule book I have in that binder. So there's a ton of history in that book.
0: And it's not Um, 60 pages of rules, though, by the way, to be right. it's it's, A lot of it is statistics and past performance. The rules aren't that crazy, that overbearing. But I think we have had a couple of, uh, let's just say, some discussions over the years on how a rule was applied. And you've had to kind of clarify a couple of things. But the rules aren't that crazy.
1: No, there's like five sections in this 60-page document. One is the preview that kind of does the matchup of who's playing. Some guys are fairly detached during the year, so the first thing you want to know is who the heck is on my team. So the very first page is know your teammates. Um, so <laughs> it lays out who's on everybody's teams and does an analysis of the matchup, goes over the courses we're playing. There's a um, scoring and playing rules. Um, that's again, maybe 10 pages long. There's a record section that has grown over the years, probably six, seven pages. And then there's the biggest part of it is what I call the bullshit statistics section, which about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, we started collecting everybody's scorecard at the end of the day. So I have statistics going back a decade. So there's a big section just on, you know, what is your average double score? How many points uh, have you produced on a yearly basis? How many uh, holes do you win on a yearly basis? Just all kinds of bullshit stuff that we try to overanalyze and make some sense out of. But the only consistent thing about Myrtle Mayhem is the inconsistency. Um, You can dig into the records and see just crazy matchups where you're like, if you were handicapping it today, You'd be like, there's no way this doubles team can beat this doubles team. There's just no way. But I can give you statistics that show that they have that some crazy upsets have happened because our um, play is so inconsistent, which is typical for our handicaps. So One day I could be great and the next day I could be like I'd never played golf before. Um, And some of our best golfers like Paulie, have a bad day or have a bad partner that they just they lose. I mean, because Paulie is our best golfer, but his record isn't amazing simply because he's paired with the worst golfer almost every day. So um, it, it's it makes it incredibly difficult to predict. There have been plenty of times I've gone down on a team where I'm like, man, I don't know how we're going to win this this year. And, and we do. Or I don't know how we lose this year. And we do. So right. it, it's incredibly difficult to predict.
0: How about, um, I know you do some things with some side bets. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, again, making
1: it an event, we we just have layered on all this stuff over the years. So, one of those things is side bets. So, we've had a side bet on um, rounds since the very first year. Um, I think we did closest to the pin and a long drive um, at least a couple times that first year. But that's grown because they're super popular. So now we have eight side bets. So we have two closest to the pins and two long drives a day. Everybody chips in. And um, if you win, I think now you get like 35 bucks um, if you win any of those events. But over the years, I added it all up. Um, We've awarded over $4,000 in side bet prize money over the 16 years.
0: No kidding. Really? Really?
1: Yeah, I actually did an evaluation of the amount of money each person put in to the side bet pot versus how much they took out. Um, and let's just say some have done better than others. Alan and uh, Brian Reed, I think, are both heavily on the plus side. I think they've won. They've netted over 500 bucks each over the years. And then there's some of us that have been more contributors than takers <laughs> in that. I think I'm a net $200 loss over the years. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, we do the side bets. There's also a um, a point um, competition where you get points for a ton of different things, like how many points you get in um, the event, um, in the golf. Um, you get points for um, being the low round or points for sweeping your match. You also get something um, we call points of acclamation, where if you just do something incredibly stupid, will give you a point of acclamation like if you swim naked in a pool or <laughs> um, you buy a round of drinks for everybody at a bar or you make breakfast one day um, you'll get a point of acclamation and whoever accumulates the most points wins the um, point bet which i think pays out like 60 75 bucks so um, it's uh, just another one of those side bets that we have but it's it's one of those things where again Looking at this as an event, we just started asking questions like, what if we started doing this? So, you know, you talked to Alan, who talked about his Daily Mayhem yeah. uh, or his um, Mr. Myrtle um, right. Twitter account. I've got two Twitter accounts, one which is now known as Fake Mayhem News, which tweets out a bunch of the stuff for rules and 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 um, historical records and things like what's that. The,
0: what's the Twitter address there? Yeah, that one is at Mayhem Myrtle. At Mayhem Myrtle. That's yep, I, fake Myrtle news. Okay, and that's got yep. rules and uh, probably a lot of your bullshit statistics. Yes, and there's probably a lot, a lot of, of them say that I, I suck at golf, but uh, those wouldn't yes. be bullshit.
1: Yes, and then uh, a couple guys will fact check and poke <laughs> holes, and that's why how it became the fake Mayhem news. Now, I I guarantee no accuracy. <laughs> in the statistics that I push That's out. That's your motto, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, What's the other account you have? Uh, the other account, and I can't, uh, it's an account I created a few years ago, which was the uh, MMGA. I will look it up and give it to your listeners by the end the of this. The Myrtle Mayhem,
0: Myrtle Mayhem Golf, Golf Association.
1: Yes, which was supposed to be, yes, the commissioner uh, item that was supposed to, um, you know, weigh in on heavy things. Right. Um, so uh, it's it's still in use. I've tweeted a couple of times from it on specific items, but for the most part, it's somewhat dormant. But I'll look up well, exactly what the handle is on and that. And the
0: commission may need to make some rulings while we're down there, right? You never know when the commission is going to have to be heavy-handed or uh, or or soft, you know, a gentle. So yeah. you, maybe we'll see the the commission come out while we're uh, down there in Myrtle. What else did you guys do to create this event? Yeah. So we again, it's. Um, I
1: mean, Alan also talked about the stuff he does with Photoshop and he did a lot of that early on and they were fantastic. I mean, he is a tremendously skilled individual with Photoshop and he put people into all kinds of stuff. One of the things that he used to do um, that he hasn't done in a while, but it was the it was the best was he would do a hype video every year, like two or three weeks before we went down, he would put together a five minute video that was just a hype video for the teams. And um, it was a combination of Photoshop and, and actual pictures and set it to music. And um, he probably did seven or eight of those and they were all tremendous, but they were such a heavy lift for him that he kind of stopped doing them. But, Oh man, he needs to have a section on his website where he just talks about um, those videos and has to have those videos available. Cause they're all fantastic. Um, yeah. Those were cool. Because it was the first thing that reached beyond the group that went down. Like our wives and friends would watch those and they were just amazed. And it generated a ton of interest in the event um, to see those videos every year. So I, we need to get on Alan to start doing those again or at least throw yeah. one out here. Um, so he did a, a bunch of those. Those were great. He created a website um, so that we all have a reference point. Um, it's got a countdown on it of how many days, hours and minutes till the event starts. Um, so uh, all of his Photoshop stuff is there. It's got a live Twitter feed. Um, so that that's fantastic. And that is at um,
0: www.myrtlemayhem.com,
1: www. right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's fantastic. We started doing commemorative coins in 2012. So I started creating this um, annual coin, which is basically just a custom poker chip that had the team's name and logo uh, on the side with their team members' names on each side of the chip. Um, so the, we do those every year. It's a ball marker. Um, it's how we start every round as we flip that coin to figure out who's going to go first off the first tee. And it's also become part of the trophy too. So whoever wins... Their side of the coin goes on the trophy. Um, so it's, it's just another thing we do that you know kind of makes it special to get your coin every year on day one and get a lot of use of it when we're down there. Yeah, um, it's
0: totally cool. I mean, i have them sitting here. I'm looking at a whole stack of them over here next to me. I've got them all for the years. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, swag.
1: The Vegas predictions. So we had Mr. Vegas start doing Vegas style um, betting sheets. Every year, and he's done that for the last 10 years or so. And and the handicapping on the matches is one thing, and, and they always rile people up. But the prop bets um, that he has on that are fantastic. I know you're doing, uh, or maybe have already done, uh, recorded the session with uh, Vegas, but uh, he's fantastic. I can't wait to, to hear his predictions and, and get the prop bets for the year.
0: Yeah, and no, I, I haven't recorded that. We're recording that later this week. That'll be released... Probably next Monday or Tuesday, just a couple of days to give everybody kind of the final thoughts from, from a Vegas sharp, right? From a from a, from a gambling pro, uh, Mr. Vegas will be on with me. He's going to handicap all the match. He does prop bets. Uh, Dave, you mentioned I think one time breaking windows. I mean, what 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 is he? He gives all kinds of odds. Most most likely to pass out. Most likely yep. to right the, yep. all kinds of stuff.
1: No, it's fantastic. So I can't wait to hear that episode and and see what the prop bets are this year. But uh, yeah, one of them was person most likely to break window on the course. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I think that may be someone we know who may have done that at some point. Uh, neither confirm or, or deny. But uh, I'm pretty sure a window was broken at some point.
0: Um, well, in my defense, they put those trees so close to the house. <laughs> 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 no, uh, I, that I'm not. I'm not saying whether it was me or not.
1: You don't know for sure you broke that window. I mean, you're not like you're going to go up and knock on the door and say, did I break your window? Just assume you didn't.
0: Yeah. You know, that's what and I And it could have been broken before I got there. Yeah. Who knows? Somebody <laughs> else could have done it. Could have been Aaron, two groups ahead of you. Correct. Most likely was.
1: Yeah. Um, um, but we've else? added, we've added other stuff like uh, an annual cornhole tournament. We've done that for the last 10 years or so. Like you said, we go down, during March madness and so we always have a March madness pool. Um, and we've done a ton of branded merchandise. Um, and some of it is like one off stuff. Like one year, Aaron did some iron on t-shirts, just the crap oh, nice. piece of junk you ever saw. <laughs> but, um, he had, uh, iron on t-shirts. We've done hats, golf towels, koozies. Um, one year, somebody did some golf shirts. I think maybe a year or two, we did some golf shirts and had some teams, uh, wear them all on a single event look all matchy matchy. That was definitely not me. Um, but uh, we've done all kinds of stuff like that. And I've got like Myrtle Mayhem stickers and stuff that I slap on almost everything. And um, so just a lot of branded merchandise. I think Kenny is doing something this year. I'm anxious to see what he's got. Um, and heck now we even have a podcast for this thing. So,
0: And by the of... way, you're going to get some podcast swag. I've got some of that. Coming. Ooh,
1: that's exciting. We love swag.
0: Well, you so, got to market,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, but all of these <laughs> things make it an event, you know, people, if you go down for four days and play golf, that's great for those four days, but we wanted to make it a year long kind of excitement. So we've done all these things to try to build up the excitement when we're not down there. Um, you know, and, and in October, when we start figuring yeah. out the courses, um, that's when it really starts. And, and the three or four months leading up to it is just flooded with things just to get people excited about the event and then to do things when we're down there to make it, you know, a a bigger deal than just playing golf four days. So it is, it is something I look forward to. I tell my kids that it is daddy Christmas. It is that one thing (laughs) every year that I look forward to and count the days down too. So we've done a lot of things to try to build that
0: up. I love it. Well, certainly, um, Kudos to you, Julie, for creating an event. It is uh, it is all of the Daddy Christmas. I, I agree with you on that. We look forward to that all year long. Um, and like we mentioned, looking forward to Rick and Mr. Vegas showing up and giving us a little uh, wagering odds. And I think we may be able to actually, uh, sports gambling legal in South Carolina this year, are we going to be able to actually go live with some betting down there, Dave? I don't know.
1: You know, I don't know. i have to check into that. Um, seems like it's legal almost everywhere now. So right. I don't know Who if we knows. can bet on the event in the same state that we're in. We'll have to check
0: out the legality <laughs> of that. But, <laughs> That's uh, true. That's right. It's very uh, true. Very true. It, All right. So I want to ask you two, a couple of questions and then we'll get you out of here. I know we're already 40 minutes. So, number one, we've talked a lot about the OGs. Can you talk just a little bit about... The other, uh, you know, and then I don't know that I'm an OG, right? So, I, how many are there? I think I'm not, but I'm probably the next group in. Talk a little bit about these guys that weren't in that Prince William County ballpark sort of universe that you've brought in. Real quick, how you got them there, and and then any idea on how they feel, uh, what they thought the first time they showed up?
1: Yeah, so there are five originals, OGs. Uh, myself, Rick Moran, Evans. Alan Evans, Mike Kelleher, and Preedy that um, are still there. Uh, And then of the current crop, there are seven people that have joined since. All of them have been there a while. Um, Tim McCann's been there the longest of the non-OGs. Tim has been there 14 years. He was uh, somebody that lived on my street. Alan lives on my street. So um, Tim is just one of the guys we met when we first moved in. Uh, He's a really good golfer. Um, doesn't say a lot. I think we cover that in another podcast, but Tim's a great guy. He's been there 14 years. Um, and then you have been there. Um, I think of, yeah, you've been there 13 years. So you're the next longest tenured. Um, you've been there 13 years you would have been 14, except you had to go to, um, that Vegas race. Um, so I think Tim got in that year instead of you. Um, then we've got um, Hardiman and Denora, which you kind of have to talk about as a pair. Yeah, um, it's a couple, right. Yep. Yeah, both of them live um, a street over from Alan and I. Um, and uh, Hardiman's been there 11 years, Denora nine. Um, and they're, you know, just good guys from the neighborhood that are, again, that rate kind of golf skill set. Um, and both of them bring a lot from a social perspective. Yeah. Yeah, they're the, the funnier guys. guys that you'll ever know and drink, mm-hmm. you know, in a prodigious way. Tremendous. Um, Brian Reed is another new guy, new in the sense he's been there ten years. He worked with Danny, and it's probably the the I would say the weakest link to the overall group because Danny doesn't even come anymore. Um, right. but Reed's been there ten years. Um, great guy, good golfer, big hitter, um, but he's been there ten. Um, and then um, I don't want to make sure I'm not missing anybody because I'll hear about it. Um, yeah. Paul, the Saint Saint Laurent yeah. is yeah. somebody that I worked with um, 30 years ago, played on our softball teams. That's how he knew everyone else. Probably the best golfer that comes down there has almost screwed him a couple of times. Cause he's gotten so good that sometimes we think about whether he's too good, but then he'll ratchet it back for a couple of years and we'll keep him. So Saint's <laughs> been there eight, and then the new guy is Jason Kremple, um the Kremple, who hey, has Kremple. Um, been there. Yeah, been there seven years and lived three houses down from me, again on the same street as Alan and I. Really good guy, um, low key, hilarious, um, gets into some crazy shit. Um, and we went for a while just writing the Kremple everywhere. We get a Sharpie, and there was a River City Cafe, let you write on the walls. And we put it everywhere. We put it in the toilet. We put it over the the women's toilet one year. Um, and his wife would come down after us to take the last few days of the house. And we have a great picture of his wife leaning over the toilet, giving the peace sign with the kremple behind her. Um, she looks like she enjoyed it in that picture, but I don't think she really enjoyed
0: the fact that the kremple you know, was we, everywhere. We, wrote, we got a marker and we wrote all over River City, the kremple on the walls. And then we also put at follow at jmu monty yes. the yes. jack package handle and occasionally i would get like a twitter follow that says hey i'm following you because i saw your your log on or whatever your user id on the bathroom wall at river city so shout out to all those listeners who followed me from the bathroom at river city that's hysterical yeah. um one other thing that i think alan mentioned this in a previous podcast i want you to just talk really quick if you can about how we announce the teams. Now, the teams every year change, right? So the guys are always sort of mixed. Um, how do we determine who plays who on day one? And then Al said a big secret to his success is how you pick your partner and how you pick your opponent. Can you talk about how we do matchups each day and you know just how the order that they're picked and how we do that?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we pick teams, typically we'll do a a draft or the captains will get amongst each other and and pick teams. And that's, there's a lot of analysis in that. And Rick and I have the same philosophy is you want a group of guys on your team that you enjoy being with. That's always been my motto and Rick's as well. And we've had some success with that, but the teams are selected. And day one matchups are usually made a couple months in advance and Usually one team will throw out matchups and the other team will respond. There might be some dickering back and forth, but we set that day one matchup well in advance and then talk about it for two months. Um, so then it comes down to who wins day one and by how much. So whoever is trailing, if you're trailing by, you know, a reasonable number, just, you know, a handful of points, you basically reveal your first doubles to some to the other team. They match that first twosome, they put out their second twosome and their third twosome, and then the trailing team matches up of those two twosomes. Um, if you're down by a lot, which can happen on days three or four, then the team that's in the lead lays out all three of their doubles partners and the trailing team gets to match up with them. So, again, it, it can be difficult to do those matchups simply because do you go heavy? Do you like create a super team that you know will win? And weaken your other teams. You know, do you bank on what was done the day before when you're setting those teams? Um, and that's where the inconsistency really comes into play because you yeah. can put out three teams of doubles and you're like unbeatable. And on paper, you'd be right. And the yeah. next day, you lose two out of the three because yeah. people didn't play the same way. So yeah, that's say, kind of no how we do the structure.
0: A, no such thing as a super team, right? With our games as inconsistent as they are your super team could get swept easy tomorrow, right? Yeah.
1: No, I mean, there's it's incredibly difficult to predict. So, But there's a lot of analysis. The teams will get together in separate rooms of the house and just debate who should be together, yeah. who should be the matchups. Um, so it's a big deal down there making those matchups. We put a lot of effort into it, and usually it doesn't matter at all. That's correct.
0: It's a lot of fun, though, talking about it. So the team that's winning... To try to give the team that's trailing an advantage, that team that's winning has to throw that first thing out and let the other guy. The other guy gets a chance to match it, right? So then, yeah, who, and if it's ever... a big gap, you throw all three out, and the other team gets to match up against all three of yours. At that point, you're usually in a lot of trouble, right? Right. Yeah, and all of
1: those matchups that they throw out look strong as hell because they've been beating the heck out of you for a couple of days. <laughs> you're like, how the hell are we ever going to beat any that's of these exactly teams? Exactly right.
0: None of them look weak
1: when you're right. down. Yep. I crazy shit happens, like last year. <laughs> Again, we got really thrashed annoying. for three days and then pulled it out of our butt. Because it, it yeah. comes down to points, too. So there are points given for front nine, back nine, and overall. So you yeah. get, on the first three days, you get seven points. Two for the front, two for the back, and three for the overall. But on day four, you get nine points. You get three, three, and three for front, back, and overall. So we did that to allow, you know, if somebody was way behind, they had a chance to win. Because we've only had one year where the last day was unnecessary. Right. Um, it right. was a year where we were so far ahead, even with the additional points on day four, it was over. And we just goofed around and played around on that last day. But it yeah. didn't matter. It was over.
0: It always feels better when you're teeing off on 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 the fourth day. On the, when you're teeing off and you know that you still have a shot, right? And so that's happened almost every time. Um, all right, we're going to wrap this thing up pretty pretty quickly here. I do want to end with my little segment of on the range. I'm not necessarily going to give you um, either a, a word. I may give you a phrase, but uh, just fire back what you think or explain what this stuff means to you or means to us. As Myrtle people. Um, and I'll try to be quick because I know we're running long. That's fine. We're, we're good on time. I don't want to keep you up too late, though. Um, <laughs> let's talk about, let me ask you this. <laughs> Do we have a rule about hitting off the wrong tee?
1: <laughs>
0: that came up <laughs> last year. We actually put a
1: rule in this year um, for the penalty for that. Uh, Mike Kelleher famously hit off the wrong tee on a par three that the tee boxes were not far apart. They were probably a yard, two yards at most apart. (laughs) And he hit off the wrong tees and happened to hit one snug. Um, It was the closest to the pinhole. So he was not giving it up. Um, And Paul, the Saint, came back and I was in the group behind. He's like, what do we do? I'm like, look, I'm going to leave it up to you guys. There's no rule on this, um, but I'm going to leave it up to you. And Paul, being the sweetheart of a guy he is, let it stand which created a host of problems. People are all angry about it. Everybody's going, claiming that they're going to hit out the wrong tees this year. Um, but, yeah, there is now a rule that there is a penalty, that uh, you take a stroke penalty or re-tee and hit from the appropriate tees.
0: But, uh, I um, think you set a bad precedent by letting that one go there, buddy. I mean, man. Paulie is so nice. But I can tell you this. Kelleher's lucky he didn't do that against package because retee that motherfucker and hit again. You can't win the contest. <laughs> I mean, think about it, right? I don't care if it's five feet of difference. He snugs that thing up one or two feet. It's now seven feet. You just made a mistake. Great. I would have never let him do that. He wouldn't have never, yeah, he never would have gotten yep. that money against me. Yeah.
1: Saints Pauly team lost the hole and he won 35 bucks. So, you know, Mike sees it as a win
0: win. He doesn't lose any sleep over it, I can promise you. This is true. I'm sure of that. But Paulie is a saint and that's his name, right? Yep. I want to, uh, here's the next one, okay? Syracuse game, like, what is it? Five oh. overtimes on the porch. Seven
1: overtimes. Seven. Um, it was. In the evening after golf, um, Tim McCann is a Syracuse alum, so he was fully committed. But the rest of us were all, it was the most amazing two and a half hours of basketball. We were all riveted to this TV, couldn't believe what was happening. Um, we all still talk about it. I mean, it was the most amazing night of just probably the longest that all of us sat in a room and stared at the TV at any point during Myrtle. Nobody left. Nobody moved. Um, except for McCann who just paced around the whole time. Uh, it was an amazing game, and uh, it's just one of those memories that's just locked in. I mean, if you weren't there, you wish you had been because it was it was fantastic to watch that game with all of us packed into that little living room and watching it. It was, it was it, great.
0: It was a great game, and then having a Syracuse alum there in the midst of us, right? Just uh, you living knew and he dying. Was breaking down, living and dying yeah. by every shot. What a... What a game. Uh, You mentioned Timmy. He graduated from Syracuse. Is there any truth to the rumor that Tim is the Leah Remini of Charter Colony, that he broke out of this cult, maybe (laughs) making a documentary or something about escaping from Scientology like Leah Remini? Anything like that coming?
1: Yeah, there for a while, there was more than half the group came out of Charter Colony and not (laughs) only came out of Charter Colony, but came out of like, you know, two streets of Charter Colony. Uh, and Tim did break out a while ago now. He lives on a farm, but he's lived a couple places in between. But he was the first one to break out. And, yeah, you'll have to talk to Tim about uh, the reasons why and uh, whether he misses us or not. But he's not too far away. And But, yeah, he was the one to break out. And Jason has broken out since. He's down at the beach. But the rest of us are still here for now.
0: So so it is true. You can't escape the cult.
1: Can. it's It comes with a penalty,
0: can. but you can do it. Okay. Well, they're still on the trip, so they're probably good. All right, listen, I'm going to give you the last one. I'm going to let you pick, okay? You kind of talked about this course earlier, but there's another one that we love. So I'm going to let you pick which one you talk about, Wicked Stick or Prestwick. Yeah,
1: both of them are steeped in history. Both of them are loved for very different reasons. Prestwick is a great course. Um, Wicked Stick was, you know, just a field with some holes on it. But both of them have a ton of memories. Both of them have been played a lot. And from the beginning, um, I'll talk about Prestwick really quickly. I mean, Prestwick, we've played it so much that we all know every hole. There's a memory of some kind on every hole where, you know, a hole was won or lost or a match was won or lost. But hole number 17 is the hole of that course. It's I where more it. more matches have turned on that hole than anything. It's where can beg my ball to get in the water. Um, It's a par five with water entirely up the left side. The fairway runs up the right. And then at the very end, you have to cross over the water to a small green. Um, And it is, it is diabolical because first you have to put it, you have to put a good drive in so that you can safely lay up as close to the edge as you can to have a short chip over the water. Um, But more balls have gone in the water um, and again, more matches are won or lost on that hole than any other hole in Merle. Um, a, a quick example of that is last year in our match um, that we ended up tying. We ended up we went into that hole with a one-hole lead. No, is that right? Yeah, we had a one-hole lead, mm-hmm. um, and it, we everybody makes a mess of it. And but somehow Steve and I get up onto the green. Um, I think we're there in four, just an amazing series of things happen for us to even get there in four. You guys are there in three, you chip up and you hit a putt to get a par. And Steve has a, you know, like a 12 to 14 foot, um, par putt to push the hole and to solidify us winning the back nine and he putts it and the... The whole location is diabolical. <laughs> the, the green is like glass. Yep. He putts it and it was a good putt as he hit it. I'm like, that's got a chance. And it rolls past the hole and keeps going off the and green and into going. the water.
0: And keeps going.
1: The the, the, the most horrendous thing going. I've ever seen because he, he didn't earn that at all. It was a good putt. But that thing was like glass and the water's right there. And he putted in the water. We thought we lost the, the match with that um more fireworks to come on 18 but yeah it's just emblematic of that 17th hole at presswick it's it's insane and it's a definite love-hate relationship with all of us i hate
0: that fucking <laughs> hole when it go on wreck right. by the way every time we play it it's the 17th hole it never changes it's always the 17th hole and it's day four at Myrtle Mayhem, after you've been drinking heavily for four or five days, and now it's the 17th hole where you've got to let it all hang out, right? If you're going to lose, you're, nobody's going down with bullets in their gun, right? I mean, if you, nope. if you have six shotgun mulligans in your bag or whatever the number is, you're using every one of those. So there's a, been plenty of times where we've been mighty smashed going up to that T box on 17, and that hole is diabolical. Of when you've had a couple, it is vicious.
1: Yeah. Now with limited shotguns, everybody saves a mulligan for that hole. No one goes into that empty handed because, you know, it's coming and you know, you have to get a good
0: drive. So everybody's got at least one there. Yeah, I agree. Yep, I agree. All right, buddy. Listen, I see that we did another hour, Dave. I mean, I told you yeah. we had plenty of plenty of ground to cover. Um, I appreciate you being on. I wish you safe travels. I will see you what is uh well I don't know when this when this episode will air, but I will see you on Friday. What is that the eighteenth
1: yep as it stands we have the nine 18th. days
0: to go as it stands now as we record this now, it's the uh eighth so yep, I'll see you on the eighteenth uh, travel safely, my friend. Don't forget to bring me some towels uh and whatever <laughs> other sheets or whatever the heck else you guys gotta pack because I'm flying in. And uh, I'll close it with this. Remember, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, hit them straight. If you don't hit them straight, crack a beer, hit another one. Make sure you save one for 17 at Presswick because you're going to need it if you, if you make it that far. See you, Davey boy. I'll see you next week. All right. Love you, man. See thanks, you soon. Brother. Thanks.